Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast, a deep dive rewatch podcast, spending time with America's favorite radio station, WKRP in Cincinnati. My name is Alan Stair. And I'm his wife, Donna. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the trivia, the characters, and the details that have made WKRP one of America's favorite syndicated sitcoms for nearly 40 years. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast. we got a fun one today. Donna, what's our episode? We're going to talk about Young Master Carlson. This is the 20th episode of Season 1. The air date was the 30th of April, 1979. Okay, I need to jump in here real fast with a note. We noticed a discrepancy on this air date. Both IMDb and TV Guide list April 30th as the first air date for young Master Carlson. But Michael Hernandez, the accountant of rock, has come up with a little something different in his research. As you might remember, Mike's rebuilding the programming grid for Monday nights when WKRP episodes originally aired. I noticed Mike was showing a listing of a rerun of commercial break for the night of April 30th. Michael doesn't list young Master Carlson as running until the next Monday on May 7th. I dropped him a note to see what was going on. He said the listings he's found in newspapers all over the country show a synopsis of commercial break for the night of April 30th. This would have been a repeat since commercial break debuted on March 26th. Mike also notes these listings on the 30th don't have the usual R in parentheses that would indicate it's a repeat. He said he is then finding listings with a plot synopsis for young Master Carlson in these same newspapers for the next Monday, May 7th. Mike said he's got a lot of faith in the TVGuide.com listings, but they have made errors in the past. He's going to keep working on it, and we'll keep you posted. Okay, Donna, sorry. Back to the summary. Written by Hugh Wilson, story editors Tom Chehawk, Blake Hunter, Bill Dial, and Emily Marshall. Directed by Will McKenzie. Mr. Carlson's son disappears from Prussian Valley Military Academy. When he turns up at the station with Mama Carlson, he's put to work at the station and promptly gets into trouble. Huge news. For this episode, we managed to get in touch with young Master Carlson himself. In the credits, you know him as Sparky Marcus. Uh, That was a pretty obvious stage name. In real life, he goes by Marcus Isolio. We spent a great afternoon Zooming with Marcus, and since Marcus is the connection between his stage name and his real name, we will refer to him as Marcus throughout the show. Sparky is from a different time in his life. Marcus was loaded with great insights and memories. We're going to be hearing a ton of stuff from him throughout. There is so much stuff, we've got to get one thing out of the way right now. Marcus, where did Sparky come from? Roll back to 1967 in December when my mom was pregnant. Um, My dad is a real wuss when it comes to blood, guts, health stuff. I mean, if somebody had a cold, he was like, he couldn't handle it. You know what I mean? And if there was (laughs) blood involved, he generally passed out. So my mom goes, okay, it's time, you know? And he couldn't drive to the hospital. Uh, So he rode shotgun while my mom drove to um, Hollywood. (laughs) Seriously, yeah. So, okay, now picture this. My dad was a typical guy in the black suit with a skinny tie and the big, thick black glasses, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he was a five-pack-a-day man back then. So, wow. you know, hospitals, even, yeah, most hospitals I worked at when I first started in the 80s had smoking areas. You can go into this room because the smoke knows to stay in that room and doesn't yeah. know to yeah. go anywhere else. I remember those <laughs> yeah. days. I was born in okay, 1960, right? so. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. So, my dad, when my mom rolled into the hospital, she went one way, my dad went another. Because back in then, it was like, here's your perfectly clean little baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they were, they apparently, there was a long discussion over what they were going to name me. And my mother wanted me to be Marcus Aurelius Asolio. And then 
at some point it was Quentin Osolio or something at that point. And my mom was at, I guess by the time, you know, you, you, I remember when my wife was pregnant, you know, you reach that 40th week, you're like, I'm done. I don't really care what happens. Just get this baby out of me. And, you know, I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. So my mom goes rolling off to the, and I was a C-section. My mom goes rolling off to the OR. Doctor pulls me out. And when the nurse handed me to my mother, she said, not here's a little baby or here's a little bundle of joy. She said, here's a little Sparky. So my mom assumed, my mom assumed that was the name my dad chose for me. So for the first three days, because you got five days in the hospital for a C-section back then, um, that's all they called me was Sparky. My dad said he walked into the, the recovery room where my mom was, and she goes, did you see Sparky? And he goes, yes, I saw Sparky. He's a darling little baby. Um, and that's where it came from until they realized, my mother said, after I came home, was when they realized what had happened. <laughs> Isn't he great? I love Marcus. He's a blast. We had so much fun with him. Oh, he was so much fun to talk to, and we've got some more great stories coming up. But right now, it's time to head to the lobby. Jennifer is on the phone looking concerned when Art enters. She turns and tells him... Prussian Valley Military Academy just called. ...to say his son is missing. Art has a son. Carlson is directed to call the Commandant ASAP, and he heads into his office. The Prussian Valley Military Academy is referring to the Prussian Military Academy, or Prussian War Academy, which was the military academy of the Kingdom of Prussia. Prussia is a historically prominent German state. It's been around a couple of years, originated in 1525. Prussia got a little too powerful as a state and was dissolved in 1932 by an emergency decree of Germany. Prussia was known for having an unusually well-organized and very effective army. When you've been doing something since 1525, I guess you get good at it. They got really good at it. <laughs> Art's son is 11 years old. Carlson is getting ready to call his wife when Mama Carlson enters. Remember, we met Carol Bruce, who plays Mama, in Episode 9, Mama's Review. Ever since Arthur was a child, I pushed and bullied him because I thought it would make him hard and strong. Well, I was wrong. It made him soft and weak. Go check it out for her bio. Mama tells Art to hang up the phone. Mama tells Carlson that little Arthur came to her. And here comes little Arthur. Little Arthur is played by Marcus Asolio. Marcus Aurelius Asolio. Marcus was born on December 6, 1967, right there where it all happens in Hollywood, California. He is known professionally as Sparky Marcus. He was active as Sparky Marcus from 1973 through 1986. In 1976, he appeared in Emergency, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, The Nancy Walker Show, and several ABC after-school specials. If he was not busy enough in 1976, he also did the movie Freaky Friday. 1977 TV appearances were Bob Newhart's show, Eight is Enough, The Hardy Boys' Nancy Drew Mysteries. In 1978, he was on Maud, and This is the Life. 1979 TV, What's Happening? WKRP in Cincinnati, Goldie and the Boxer, and the voice of Banjo in Banjo the Woodpile Cat. In the 1980s, he was a voice actor for Hanna-Barbera. He was the voice of Richie Rich in the Richie Rich Scooby-Doo Show. He was also on Happy Days, Trapper John M.D., Cabbage Patch Kids' First Christmas, The Get-Along Gang, and Challenge of the Gobots. In 1983, he was the bellboy in the movie The Man with Two Brains, starring Steve Martin. Marcus ended his performing career when he turned 18. He's been a physical therapist for the past 30 years and lives in California with his wife and son. Marcus did not have a good experience as a child actor, but he does have fond memories of working with the WKRP in Cincinnati cast. Little Arthur is swept into the room by Carol Bruce as Mama Carlson, and we asked Marcus about Mama. I remember her being very cool, and I remember I don't think she had that mink stole thing on until the right like our last dress rehearsal. And I remember thinking, what the hell is that? I had never seen anything <laughs> like that. I'm like, is that what I think it is? I mean, everybody talks about how great Mink is, but you're wearing a rat around your neck? I mean, what is that about? But it, it totally played into the character. I thought it was perfect for the character. Um, I remember her as being, I, I remember her as being very cool. 
No problems. We got along great. Then he sees Jennifer. How's it going? (laughs) He he is staring at Jennifer. (laughs) Jennifer says she better go call the school and leaves. Little Arthur following close behind. Mama grabs him by that thing over his shoulder and pulls him back in. Throughout the episode, they play up little Arthur's attraction to Jennifer. We asked Marcus how much of that was real. Or acting. I would say I identified as a boy very early on. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a good way to put um, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, I, she, that woman could raise the dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't that she had that, you know, typical blonde, gorgeous thing. She was actually nice. And she was kind to me. Don't you love this guy? Oh, he he was great. Carlson tells Mama and little Arthur that he deserves an explanation. Oh, he's explained it all to me. He's not going back to school. Art's confused. He thought little Arthur loved it up there. I had to bribe him to get him home for Christmas vacation. Mama continues. Your son was passed over for regimental commander. Mr. Carlson doesn't think that's such a big deal. Oh, he's only 11. He can be regimental commander next year. Next year? Next year, he says. Did you hear that? Next year. Oh! (laughs) Temper, temper. A regiment is a military unit of ground troops. It normally consists of at least two battalions and usually is commanded by a colonel. Well, Carlson says that the first thing they need to do is get him back to school. But Mama tells him that he's not going back. Your son has resigned the academy. (laughs) We get this great music that plays and Art looks around. Resigned the academy? (laughs) And then you get it again, this, this blast again, and Art looks around again. This is the trumpet sting from the music piece, The Patton March. It was featured in the 1970 movie Patton, starring George C. Scott. Now, I'm always curious about the tech. Having a sound like that play in the studio would make editing audio harder later. And I was wondering, could you hear anything? No, we were directed to pause and act like we were hearing it. It was in the script. It was in the script, specifically the trumpet flourish from Patton. Was there anything played so that the audience could hear? Okay, let me say this, okay? I will tell you that we didn't rehearse with it, and if it was played, it was only played when we filmed it. Because truthfully, I want to say, God, and I could be wrong, I want to say that what we heard in filming was not what was on the final, the final print, because I remember thinking it was different. Mama explains that little Arthur will be living with her. Well, Carlson's okay with that. And... Work up here. Mama has moved little Arthur closer to his father so that Art's now looking his son right in the eyes. Little Arthur is looking straight into Art's eyes and the patent trumpet sting plays again, which makes Art look around. Little Arthur doesn't blink. He is staring a hole through Art's head. Now, this is a meaty part on a hit network sitcom. We asked Marcus what goes into landing that kind of a part, especially for a child actor. You got to get a good agent. And I will tell you, at that time, I had the best best kids agent in Hollywood. Her name was Mary Grady. Um, her children were Don Grady from My Three Sons and Lonnie O. Grady from Eight is Enough. She had been in the industry a million years. She, I mean, I thought she was old when I was like eight, you know, and um, she uh, she was the best the best agent there was. Even with a good agent, getting a part meant a lot of work and a lot of rejection. We need a kid that looks this and this, between this and this, with this and this quality. And she plucks everybody out of her stable and says, you got an interview at three o'clock tomorrow, be there. It was not unusual for me to hit three to five interviews a day after school. So my mom was hauling ass in the car all all over Hollywood trying to hit these interviews. Because you may do 100 interviews and get one job. Marcus says the competition was fierce, but the rules were pretty simple. You you had to have the look. Whatever look they wanted, you needed to look like whoever the adult actors were, if that was the case. You needed to look like a bully, if that was the case. You needed to look like a nerd, if that was the case. I don't think they really gave crap one about other than that, as long as you did three things. You showed up on time. You knew your lines, and you shut the hell up. 
That's all they want you to do. Since the life of a working child actor doesn't leave a lot of time for TV watching, we were curious if Marcus was a fan of WKRP before landing this role. Everybody was. Even the kids in my class, everybody watched it because it was freaking hysterical. Um, One thing that was easy to pick up day one, hour one, was the cast had a symbiotic relationship. You walk into a set and you can tell if there's division, like this star doesn't like that star and that guy doesn't work well with that guy or everybody hates the director or whatever it is. You can sense it. It's just like you can smell a skunk in the room. Marcus spent a lot of time on movie and TV sets. He said there was something different about the WKRP set. What I remember going onto the set there and it was like, I can imagine what 1969 Love Fest must have been like because everybody really worked well together. Everyone got along. Everybody, you know, they played off each other in a good way, you know, not in a negative way, in a very positive way. Um, and it was really easy. And they made me feel really welcome, which was very unusual for a kid, especially when you're the only kid on the set. And Marcus closes out our cold open with that cold stare. WKRP in Cincinnati. Well, now we're back in Mr. Carlson's office, and Mr. Carlson says that little Arthur should be in school. That's the law. He can't work here. Oh, a little time away from school won't make any difference. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Arthur, WKRP is a family business. Now, I want little Arthur to learn it. Yeah, but he doesn't like radio. He likes war. Isn't that right, son? <laughs> Art kind of brushes him off. He says, if you're real good, maybe Grandma will get you a nice summer job with NATO. She's talking about him like he's had a 20-year military career and he's suffered some kind of a traumatic setback. He needs time to rest and reflect. This is just 11-year-old child we're talking about. NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It was established April 4th, 1949. came about right after World War II. NATO's purpose is to guarantee the freedom and security of its members through political and military means. NATO is an alliance that consists of 30 independent member countries. Now, Mama tells Art to find something for little Arthur to do around the station, and it's it's just temporary. She tells little Arthur she'll pick him up at five. Now be pleasant to the help and don't get dirty. She walks by Art. The same goes for you. Marcus says this line really resonated with him. He learned early child actors can't get dirty, and it's something that stayed with him. I'm afraid to get dirty. When I got dirty when I was a kid, I got in trouble. So it's like if I had a dirt stain on the knee of my jeans or something, that was a problem. So when my son was young, we, we only used to leave our travel trailer up at this campground up in the mountains around here. And he'd come back to the trailer all dirty. I'm like, oh, my God, he can't come in here. He's filthy. And my wife's looking at me going, you need to relax. We have a shower. He's going to be fine. Carlson is asking little Arthur if he's sure he wants to stay with his grandmother rather than at home when Johnny enters. You mind if I come in? Great. I want to talk to you about the latest. So long. Carlson calls him back and introduces him to little Arthur. <laughs> gets his eyes on little Arthur and just decides to turn <laughs> around and leave. Marcus says he has some vivid memories about this scene. I remember doing that scene with him where I'm like, why aren't you at your post? Why aren't you there? Could something happen? What if the worker gets stuck? Oh, see, that doesn't... Something could happen, couldn't it? We'll get a move on, soldier, kind of thing. And I remember the way he was playing back to me. He cracked me up. So little Art has really thrown Johnny for a loop, and Art asked Johnny what he came in for. I don't know. I forgot. Little Arthur backs up, and he sits on his dad's desk. Marcus is definitely a Howard Hessman fan. Howard Hessman is one of the funniest men I've ever seen. I could just listen to that guy go all day long. He's awesome, hilarious. It might even go beyond talent. Marcus says it's like there's something in the air. The guy, like, he had comedy aftershave or something it was like you walk by him and just start laughing you just can't help it right it's like a comedy pheromone or something and we couldn't get through that thing without me absolutely busting up i am always going to remember comedy aftershave always (laughs) so art steps between johnny and little arthur and asks johnny to please excuse he and his son well johnny turns to leave and get a shave which causes Johnny to turn back around, and he starts to lunge at little Arthur. How'd you like to die, Shorty? No, no, no. 
Carlson explains to Johnny that little Arthur is um, only going to be at the station for a few days, and he ushers Johnny out of his office and shuts the door. Art asks little Arthur to wait outside in the lobby. Little Arthur asks why and just sits there. He doesn't move. Carlson explains he wants to make a phone call. Little Art still doesn't move. Jennifer's out there. Yeah, that got him going. <laughs> that puts a big smile on his face. He hops off the desk and he heads out to the lobby. All right, Marcus, <laughs> Gordon Jump. Um, Gordon Jump, that guy has that whole like shy guy that is going to absolutely stun you with zingers kind of thing. He's got that going in spades. Carlson calls his wife. Yeah, listen, our, uh, our son's home. Yeah. He's, he's back in Cincinnati. Hello. Hello. <laughs> that was a short call. And that is Gordon Jump working that phone call. He's all alone on that phone and sounding all the world like Bob Newhart when Bob used to do those classic phone bits of his. Yes, exactly. Well, it's not that whining. <laughs> well, if you've got nothing to worry about, I got the manual right here in front of me. Now, you, you, you and I are going to disarm that thing, Willard. Well, I'm, I'm not coming down there, no, Willard. I, I mean, I just, I can't leave. Don't, don't bring it in here, Willard, no. <laughs> Willard, I have the manual right here in front of me. Now, now describe the thing to me. Yeah, it sounds like a torpedo of some kind, Willard. It's probably one of ours. Are, are there any markings on it? Ma- made in Japan. <laughs> uh, it still could be one of ours, Willard. <laughs> So we head into the lobby where little Arthur is sitting at Jennifer's desk and there is a ton of stuff spread out on the desk. He's holding Jennifer's purse upside down, dumping all of it out all over the desk. And Jennifer enters. She's coming from the bullpen area. What are you doing to my things? Her eyes are bulging out of her head. (laughs) You can see the whites. Bailey comes into the lobby as Jennifer has little Arthur down by the shoulder. She's shaking him. Oh, good Lord, who is he? Carlson's kid, let's kill him. I love Jennifer's voice and let's kill him. It's got that in it. There's a little bit of a growl. (laughs) Now, Marcus was keenly aware that he was in the same room with both Jennifer and Bailey. Come on, dude. Info on Bailey. She was totally laid back. And I'm not saying that. And uh, uh, Lonnie Anderson was, too. Truthfully, they're both incredibly gorgeous women. And they're both incredibly gorgeous inside, too. And I would love to say, you know, uh, Lonnie Anderson was never that superficial I know I'm hot and, you know, kiss my feet kind of thing. She was never like that. She was totally cool. Marcus also had to weigh in regarding the ongoing debate. And for the record, just for the record, and I don't care if you put this on, at least I'm saying that now, Bailey was hotter. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, glad to have your input, Marcus, but I already knew that. Carlson comes out of his office and asks, how's it going? Uh, Not too well. Uh, Jennifer, please. Jennifer stands up and regains her composure. (laughs) I'm sorry. Hi, I see you've met little Arthur. Yeah, he's uh, somewhat of a... A uh, A Nazi. Yeah. Art tells Bailey and Jennifer that little Arthur will be around the office for the next two or three days. Then he had better learn to behave himself. Carlson asks what he did. Uh, He got into Jennifer's drawers. (laughs) Oh, son. (laughs) Oh, son. (laughs) Jennifer is visibly upset. He dumped out all my pencils. Look at my stationery. This place is just a mess. Art's explaining to Little Art that what he did was a no-no right about the time Andy enters. Carlson introduces Little Arthur to Andy. Andy's our program director here. And he explains... It's kind of like, uh, well, I'm the president and he's my five-star general. Well, Little Arthur, he understands this. He salutes Andy. Art tells Andy to find Little Arthur a... Vital yet uh, otherwise meaningless job. Andy tells Little Arthur he'll... Show him around. Bailey tells Andy that this child is unusual. Little Arthur has made his way back over to Jennifer's desk. You know you're beautiful when you're angry? And Jennifer's shooing him away. He has got that flirt thing down, but he's leaning over on the desk and is barely leaning. <laughs> Little Art seems quite advanced beyond his 11 years. How old is this man? 49. 49. Yes, sir. Now we go into the studio where Johnny is at the mic and Caravan by Van Morrison is playing over the air. Sir George Ivan Morrison OBE. 
E. Van Morrison is a Northern Irish singer, songwriter, instrumentalist, and record producer. He was born George Ivan Morrison in 1945 in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And this is the first I ever knew that Van was a nickname for Ivan. He's also known as Van the Man, the Belfast Cowboy, and the Belfast Lion. I've heard him called Van the Man. Never heard the other two, though. That's interesting. His solo career began in 1967 with the release of the hit single, Brown-Eyed Girl. Hey, where did we go? Days when the rains came. Down in the hollow. Playing a new game. Laughing and running. Hey, hey. Skipping and jumping. In the misty morning fog with all our hearts that thumping and you. A brown-eyed girl You, my brown-eyed girl He has scored 18 top 40 albums in the U.S., 12 of them between 1997 and 2017. His big one, Moondance, came out in 1970. That really was Morrison's breakthrough. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance With the stars up above in your eyes Fantabulous night to make romance Neath the cover of October skies Yet all the leaves on the trees are falling To the sound of the breezes that blow And I'm trying to please to the calling Of your heartstrings that play soft and low Yet all the night He was awarded the OBE, Order of the British Empire, a knighthood, in 1996 by Queen Elizabeth II. Morrison is divorced, and he has a son and a daughter. The song Caravan by Van Morrison is from his 1970 album, Moondance. what's playing as we cut into the studio. The theme of the song is Gypsy Life. Morrison references a radio in this song. He told the story, as a child he lived in a small house far away from any other houses. Switch on your electric light Don't we get down to what is really wrong. Yet he could hear a radio as if it were in the same room. He had heard rumors from other children about how there were underground tunnels between his house and the nearest house, which was over a mile away. He came to the conclusion that the radio was playing at that house. He was hearing it echo through the tunnels. Turn it up! Turn it up! A little bit higher! Radio! Turn it up! That's enough! So you know, it's got so Radio! Johnny is doing a fantastic job of lip-syncing. He's definitely enjoying this song. As Travis and little Arthur enter, it kind of ruins Johnny's good mood. Get that kid out of here. Little Arthur apologizes to Johnny, and then he wants to know how things work. Do you think he's just kind of playing up to him a little bit there? Of course. Yeah, he just wants to play with all the knobs and buttons. So Travis asks little Arthur if he's interested in radio, and little Arthur says he is... Kind of. It's probably because he knows the first thing you do when you overthrow a government is seize control of the radio station. And this is so cool. Without even looking up, little Arthur adds. And then you shoot all the DJs. His timing on that. So young, but he's just such a natural. And the kid's right, too. As recently as 2019 in Gabon, Africa. Gabon was taken over in a coup. The first thing they did, take over the radio stations. We did not find out whether or not they shot the DJs. Venus comes into the studio. And Travis introduces him to little Arthur. Hey, Venus. I would like to take the opportunity to introduce you to Arthur Carlson Jr., the omen. (laughs) He could have played it. He could have played it. The omen is a horror movie that came out in 1976. Harvey Stevens played the role of Damien, the son of Satan and a jackal, who came complete with a 666 tattoo on his scalp. Gregory Peck and Lee Rimmick played Damien's, um, 
human mother and father. Venus gets a look at little Arthur in his uniform. Where's the rest of the band? <laughs> You're black! Venus quite good-naturedly discovers... I am? Venus seems surprised by this information. You didn't have any blacks in the Prussian Valley. Come on, Andy. And little Arthur walks out of the studio. Travis follows him. Venus walks over to close the door to the studio, and he's got to get another shot in. Ain't no blacks dumb enough to go to a place called Prussian Valley. <laughs> Marcus says that his interactions with Venus required a lot of acting. I'm not even really sure I understand the nuances of what I was doing, because that wasn't the house that I grew up in. You know what I mean? I remember him just being really gracious about that whole thing. And it was like, you know, it's all cool, man. You know, it's just just part of the job. Let's go. It's all good. And I was like, wow, this is a great place to work. I mean, can you write me in, please? I'm kind of digging this, you know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. I would have been happy as a clam there. Those guys were awesome. Venus walks over to Johnny and puts a great button on the scene. Hey, man, how come you didn't tell me I was black? (laughs) (laughs) Venus is too cool. Now we go to Carlson's office. And Carlson is at his desk, and Jennifer buzzes him to say that the commandant is on the phone. He addresses the man on the phone as General. Uh-huh. Oh, gee. I, oh, I, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, I see. Well, gosh. Look, I'm absolutely positive that, you know, you'll be a general one day. <laughs> And it's another one of those phone bits that Gordon Jump is just knocking out of the park. Carlson asks that this call is about his son, and we're going to have a couple of cuts back and forth here. We're going to keep cutting into Art's office as he's on the phone call, and then we're going to catch up with where little Art is around the station. Little Arthur is now in the bullpen, and he's sitting at the DJ's desk watching Herb, who is humming anchors away and... Chewing gum. And you might remember, I think we mentioned it in the prologue, Frank Bonner was a Navy radioman second class before he began acting. (laughs) Anchors Away is the fight song of the U.S. Naval Academy and the unofficial march song of the U.S. Navy. It was composed in 1906 by Charles A. Zimmerman. The lyrics are by Alfred Hart Miles. Zimmerman was the bandmaster of the U.S. Naval Academy. Lass is also at his desk. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Right earlobe. And now with a special report from the set, here is Marcus Asolio. We were on the set, so it was Wednesday probably. Everybody's in wardrobe and we're doing our thing, making sure we're blocking out. And I remember him and Herb were having a conversation. Where, where should it hurt this week? And I'm like, how about your ear? And so he put that little bitty bandage on his earlobe. And he goes, well, it's not really, I, I, I recall he was like, it's kind of small. And I'm like, very noticeable. No worry about it. Because, you know, when you zoom in on your face, it's right there. You know what I mean? He did it. And that, that is the truth, as I recall. Thank you for that special report. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist, Les Nessman. Man, your first time ever a co-host on the bandage report. That's cool. With Marcus. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. So both Herb and Les not looking thrilled to have little Arthur there in the bullpen with them. Herb takes his gum out of his mouth and he (laughs) sticks it under his desk. He's so classy. You're the big guy's kid. Little big guy. (laughs) Well, on behalf of uh, Les Nesman and I, welcome to WKRP in Cincinnati. Les Nesman and me. Little Arthur, of course, is correcting Herb's grammar, but Herb doesn't get it. He thinks somehow Les has gotten between him and Little Arthur. They're already pals. Herb rolls himself across the room over to Les's door. Already buttering up little big guy, huh? I should have known. I just met him. Oh, sure. And uh, it's... Never mind. We're not Never doing mind. an I alert. Take that back. We're pulling it back. We are doing a Herb Tarlick fashion Warning. warning. 
He's wearing that uh, good old red, white, and blue checked jacket, which we thought looked like a picnic tablecloth. It's a go-to for Herb, it seems like. With white striped shirt, maroon pants, white shoes, and white belt. So that was a warning. Be very careful, but we didn't have to issue a full alert. <laughs> Les gets up and he goes over to Herb's desk as Herb tells it like it is to little Arthur. He just does the news around here. I handle the sales. I mean, without me, this station would be nowhere. So, uh... Tell your dad you heard that and you think it's right. <laughs> Wink's a little art. He is trying to form some kind of a, of a bond with the guy here. It's not working. My grandmother talks about you. Herb kind of puffs up. He's happy to hear that Mama talks about him. Mama talks about me. He asks little Arthur what his grandmother says. Little Arthur tells him she doesn't say anything. So Herb offers little Arthur some money to get him to talk. I'll give you... Five. <laughs> Little Arthur asks for a $5 bill, which in today's money, that would be 20 And Herb says he will get it if he tells him what his grandmother says. She says you're addle-minded. Here comes Hugh Wilson with more of those literate kinds of references. you got to have a little vocabulary. Addle-minded <laughs> means having a muddled or confused mind or brain. The first known use of the term addle was in 1652. Two, yet Herb has not heard it. Herb has a confused look on his face, and it's clear that he doesn't know what that means. So he turns to Les. <laughs> Les, look up battle-minded. This could be good for me. <laughs> Les heads over to get the dictionary. <laughs> All right. Hanging with Herb and Les in the bullpen. Marcus, was it as much fun as it seems? Those two guys, watching them play off each other... It was almost just like watching two old buddies just bounce off each other on stuff. Mm -hmm. They're like little back and forth. And, and that was written in the script was very similar to the back and forth that was off camera. And this seems like such a fun scene. We had a really good time rehearsing that. Uh, he, they were they were both of those guys are very fun to work with. They're, they're Statler and Waldorf. They're Abbott and Costello. <laughs> they're Laurel and Hardy. They're Lurb. They are Lurb. Chippendale. <laughs> <laughs> Those great comedy duo, Chip and Dale. <laughs> Carlson is still talking to the colonel in his office, and he learns that little Arthur left school because he's flunking out. Ooh. Now, remember, little Arthur told his grandmother that it was because he was passed over for a rank promotion. So we cut back to the bullpen where we've still got this interaction going on with Les Herb and little Arthur. Les goes over to little Arthur. Excuse me, little big guy, but... Did your grandmother ever speak about me? And we've dubbed him now Little Big Guy. Little Arthur just shakes his head no. Les tries to explain to Little Arthur who he is, but it's not working. Les Nussman, five-time winner of the Buckeye Newshawk Award. Does that ring a bell? So Les goes for the billfold, and it seems like the, uh, the fee is five bucks. She says that you're obtuse. Ooh. <laughs> Marcus was impressed with Les. From what we know about Richard Sanders' dedication to acting, it's not surprising to hear Richard is always the pro. I was very sensitive about how I was treated on the set. Not that I was looking for people to be mean to me so that I can go run and hide or whatever. I just basically, I responded in kind. If uh, an adult performer didn't want to talk to me, I wasn't going to go start a conversation. What I remember about him is that he treated me like a fellow actor. He did not treat me like set dressing or an unnecessary part because they say you don't want to work with animals and kids, and it's true. But what I remember from him is that he had no problem striking the conversation with me like I was just another actor. Herb's at his desk trying to find the words addle-minded when Les walks by <laughs> and grabs the dictionary from him. This leads to a great exchange, Les and Herb grabbing the dictionary back and forth from each other, wanting to look up their words. Addle-minded. <laughs> Obtuse. When Herb reaches for the book, Les slams it on Herb's hand. <laughs> Bailey enters, and Herb asks if she's met Carlson's son. She said, yes, she's had the pleasure. Well, he's quite a kid, let me tell you. Tell your dad I said that. Herb's <laughs> sucking up. Always, always. <laughs> All right, Les has found... Hold on a minute. Les has found his word. Obtuse. According to Webster's, exceeding 90 degrees, but less than 180 degrees. <laughs> Lacking sharpness or quickness of sensibility. <laughs> Rounded at the free end. <laughs> Dull. 
he stands up from his desk and he walks toward little Arthur. Last, take it easy. Take it easy? Yeah, just calm down, okay? Don't tell me to calm down. I just paid $5 to find out I'm rounded at the free end. <laughs> Herb's still happy about being called adult-minded. He's just mad because he's not adult-minded. I am, too. This begins a little shoving contest between Herb and Les. No, you're not. Yes, I am. You're not. Yes, I am. You are. You are. Bailey gets between them and puts a stop to it. You are both adult-minded. Thank you, Bailey. You're welcome, Les. I love that they're both satisfied. Oh, yeah, they're ready to go back to work now. With me all adult-minded. All right, they're both satisfied with that. So Herb and Les go back to their desk, and here comes Venus through that door that comes from the control room, and he's up there right behind the DJ desk. He sees little Arthur, and he says... Hi, kid. And little Arthur gets upset at this. Don't call me kid. Little Arthur doesn't move. He is holding his ground, but does not make eye contact with Venus. Sorry, this is my desk now. Why don't you just stand up for a second so old Venus can use the phone there? Sorry. Stand up, boy. I don't feel like it, boy. You hear the audience respond to little Arthur's last line. Venus stands there for a moment. Then he reaches down and picks up little Arthur by his upper arms and brings him face to face with him. I'm not good, no, Venus. Bailey and Herb and Les all run over, telling him, This is not good. This is the big guy's kid. It's pretty intense. Marcus said Tim Reed made this scene just a great experience for him. He was very nice to me. I thought we had some great chemistry and obviously that relatively sensitive interaction. I thought we did it. I I don't know if you can say it was respectful as it could be at the time. I don't know. You know, I thought we did really well. And uh, uh, he was fun to work with. As tense as it feels in the final, Marcus says they had a great laugh during rehearsals on this one. When rehearsing it, there's that part where Tim Reed picks me up by the epaulets, the collar, yes. whatever. Not the epaulets, I guess the collar, the, the, collar, the well, jacket. It, in the final, he grabs your arms. The, your upper arms. And he okay, that's yeah. why. That's why. The epaulets kept, the, the thing he grabbed me by kept tearing up. He grabbed by the, the collar of the jacket and lifted me up, and a couple of times he tore out during rehearsal. We'd laugh our asses off when that happened, because they're like, pick me up, and he's got, he's got that stink face, you know, all serious. He goes, mm-hmm. and I fell out of screen, you know? <laughs> <laughs> He'd fall out of screen. (laughs) Marcus also had some interesting detail regarding those rehearsal days. They have something called a rehearsal hall. Because let's say, for example, the episode's going to have a different set. The set builders need time to build it. We would generally be in the rehearsal hall for two days. And somebody at some point had taped out in different colors the outline of the sets. So you can, we could start blocking and everybody had a different color tape as far as this is your block versus my block, your mark versus my mark. And speaking of that uniform, that's some amazing costuming. Where did that come from? There was somebody on the crew and I want to say it was the cameraman and the sound guy who went to military school. And so they mocked up, I think the sleeves weren't on yet. I think it was just the jacket part without the sleeves. And he's like, okay, you need to put stuff here, stuff there, stripe over here, um, grab the hat. Yeah, you need the, the, he called them scrambled eggs on the bill. You got to put scrambled eggs on there. So they were constantly updating it until the end, I would say Thursday morning, end of the day Wednesday. Okay, we head back to Carlson's office for just a minute before we go to commercial. Yeah, th- thank you very much. He hangs up and he's holding little Arthur's hat and it looks like uh, the picture freezes and then it fades to black. When we come back, we're in the bullpen. It's just a few minutes later. Andy's joined everyone in the bullpen. Venus has settled down and is apologizing. Andy, look, I'm sorry, man. I guess I just lost my head for a second. Andy pats him on the back, tells him it's going to be okay. Well, Bailey, she's just about had it. And you've got to do something. Look, the boy has been here less than an hour. Seems longer. Art enters the bullpen not looking very happy. Andy tells him that there is a problem. I'm not surprised. Little Arthur, come with me. Carlson walks out of the bullpen with little Arthur following closely behind. There's applause when little Arthur and the big guy leave, and I think that is all for little Arthur. Oh, he is knocking it out of the park. A fantastic performance. Well, Andy turns and and looks at everybody, and he just tells them to start from the beginning. He's not supposed to be picking on little white kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Venus climbs over the DJ desk to go after Herb. How about big white kids, man? 
the experience of a guest star on a live audience three camera sitcom would usually happen over one work week. Marcus arrived on Monday for the table read at WKRP. He says, what you read on Monday usually has very little to do with what you're saying by Friday. Rewrites, rewrites happen all the time. Not so much I remember with that particular one, but in any other thing that I did, you know, here and they, they do it in different colored paper and they replace page for page. So it's like you flip through the final script. It has 20 different colored pages in it. You know, you're supposed to take out the old page and put in the new page because everyone's everything's got those big three inch brass two pronged pinch right, things. You yeah, know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, that go through four inches of script sometimes. You get those, and then by Wednesday, you're on the stage in costume. Thursday is final run-through, and then you record Friday. We come back to Carlson's office. All right, sit. Little Arthur sits in his dad's chair. Carlson has him move to the other chair. All right, son, now you and I are going to get a couple of things straight. Art picks up a magazine, and he slams it down on his desk. Little Arthur is shocked. He has never seen his dad like this. Are you mad? You bet I'm mad. I'm mad at you. And I'm mad at me. Heavy scene coming up. When you were a six-year-old child, you were a, a rambunctious kid. Maybe more rambunctious than other kids your age. I, I don't know. But God help me. Your mother and I, we let your grandmother talk us into sending you away to school. Oh, you can't blame your grandma. You see, her father went to a military academy, a man whom she much admired. She thought she was doing the right thing. Even though I had different thoughts on the matter at that time, I... Well, son, away you went. Four feet tall. Dressed like General MacArthur. Waving at your mother and me from that railroad car window. Oh, son, I'm sorry. There's a close-up on little Arthur as Carlson is talking... And you see a tear roll down his chubby little cheek as he watches his dad. We're looking at a performance filled with a level of emotion and honesty many adult performers would find hard to achieve. We asked Marcus if there was a secret. When you're with somebody and you're in the moment, I I don't know how to explain this, and especially when you put yourself in front of a live audience and you feel the energy. I loved live shows because I could feel it, you know? It's visceral. I don't know how else to put it. Um, when you're in the moment and the audience is quiet and you know they're listening to everything you're saying because they're in it with you, um, I didn't have a hard time being emotional. That right there just shows what he thought of Gordon Jump. Yeah, definitely. We've heard how this episode's director, Will McKenzie, is an actor's director. What do you remember about him on the set? I just remember him being totally cool. And like I said, that was an unusual thing. Back then. Little Arthur goes over to his dad and says that he likes it at the school and he has to be regimental commander. Have to be regimental commander? Oh, you have to be as an 11 year old boy. Little Arthur's unaware that Art has been on the phone with the school. He asked dad if the school called him. No, I, I don't think I'm going to call them either. You see, what I, what I thought was. Uh, well, I thought. Maybe you could go to public school right here in Cincinnati. Now, what do you think about that? Now, I kind of like what, what Arthur did there by saying yeah. no. Yeah, he's not going to, there's no need to shame him. There's no need right. to make him feel bad. Let's just start this new chapter. Well, little Arthur said he's going to need to think that over. Got girls? <laughs> That's a great callback. So little Arthur agrees to go to public school. He puts his hand out to shake on it like men. Art grabs him, gives him a big hug. Only those metal shirt. Carlson explains to his son that he's a busy man, but... You know, along with the burdens of authority come moments of recreation. He sees it's all clear, and then he proceeds to pull out a remote control car from his desk. Carlson brags about his talent with the car and not hitting any furniture in record time. Art's just got the party going. He asks if uh, little Art likes rock and roll. He turns on the monitor, (laughs) and we hear Soul Man by Sam and Dave, and Art starts breaking some funky moves. Listen, son, 
You may not know, but your dad's the rock and roll mogul of Cincinnati. Yeah, he starts like, putting his shoulders up and down. I've never seen Arthur dance before. Sam and Dave were an American soul and R&B duo who performed together from 1961 until 1981. The tenor voice was Sam Moore. He was born in 1935, and he is still living in Miami, Florida at age 85. Now, Sam was the victim of a celebrity death hoax. In January of 2021, people thought he died. The baritone, or the lower voice, was Dave Prater, 1937 to 1988. Sam and Dave are inductees in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Vocal Group Hall of Fame, the Memphis Music Hall of Fame, and the Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame. The pair received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2019. No less than Rolling Stone has ranked Sam and Dave number 14 on its list of the 20 greatest duos of all time. Soul Man, the song, is a 19 19- 1967 song written and composed by Isaac Hayes and David Porter. It did win a Grammy for Best R&B Duo Performance in 1967. In 1999, Soul Man was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. And in 2019, Soul Man, and when we're talking about this, we're talking about the song, was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry because it was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. That's what I got! Dave's 1967 release peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100. The Blues Brothers version of the song from 1979 charted at number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100. Guitarist Steve Cropper played on both the Sam and Dave and Blues Brothers versions of the song. That means when Sam Moore says, play it, Steve. I'm a And John Belushi says, play it, Steve. I'm a soul man. Play it, Steve. They're saying it to the same guy. I'm a soul man. And I dare anybody to sit still when this song plays. Art goes over to his desk and he starts tossing all kinds of toys out of the drawers until he finds what he's looking for, a basketball hoop. It's one of those Nerf hoops. It hooks onto the door and he's got two of the Nerf balls. He gives one to little Arthur. He counts down for them to throw the balls together and Jennifer enters. Mr. Carlson? Yeah. Are you all right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I heard music. Yeah, my son likes that. Oh, Alrighty. Now listen, hold all my calls, will you? Because we're going to be in conference all afternoon. Yes, sir. <laughs> Jennifer smiles at him. She leaves, closing the door behind her. Dad, does that thing at any of the stations? Yeah, sure. Just uh, flip that dial up. Middle one on the radio back there. And little Art finds some marching music, and he starts directing... Smiling, he comes back up to Dad's side. What he's listening to is the Washington Post March by John Philip Sousa. John Philip Sousa was an American composer and conductor who lived from 1854 until 1932. He was known for his American military marches. Among his best-known marches are the Stars and Stripes Forever. Semper Fidelis, the official march of the United States Marine Corps. (laughs) 
The Liberty Bell, The Thunderer, and The Washington Post. In 1889, the recent purchasers of the Washington Post newspaper, Frank Hatton and Beriah Wilkins, a former Democratic congressman from Ohio, requested that Sousa, who at the time was the leader of the United States Marine Band, compose a march for the newspaper's essay contest award ceremony. This was in conjunction with the campaign to promote the newspaper's new ownership. The Washington Post was introduced at a ceremony on June 15, 1889, with President Benjamin Harrison in attendance. Carlson counts again. They both throw their balls. They both make baskets. The scene ends with Art, his son on his lap. They're both laughing and clapping. And Marcus, talk to us about shooting hoops with Gordon Jump. In any dressing room I ever had, in any show I was on, I had that stupid ball thing. So they put it on the back of the door in the on the set. And I'm like, sweet. So I start playing with it. And um, they decided to work it into the show. Okay, fine. Maybe it was already, probably already in the show. What do I know? Everything that goes on is planned, right? All week long, we're practicing. We throw the ball up. Neither of them are hitting it. The day we filmed it, we both got it in the hoop on the try. The true story. I <laughs> uh, will take that to my grave. Um, absolutely nailed it. We come back to the lobby for our capper scene. Jennifer is at her desk drinking a cup of coffee and looking at the closed door to Carlson's office. Are you still in there? Uh-huh. What are they doing? I don't know. The door to the office opens and we see the remote control car come out, drive up to Jennifer's desk, back up, head for the door, leading back towards the studio. Car hits the door jam, backs up, then goes on through. Now... <laughs> We know from talking to Tom Chihawk, you ready for this is the level of trivia we're delivering at the WKRP cast. <laughs> Tom Chihawk, story editor, was driving that remote controlled car during this episode. Do but, you remember a show where there was did Carlson had a uh, remote control car? I was the one in charge of driving the oh, really? episode, and I just totally screwed it up. The car <laughs> crashes into the wall, and it, you know, I, was, I said, hey, I can handle this. Marcus remembers Tom coming through when it mattered. The guy who drove the remote control car all week long, you know, he's crashing was, here, crashing Tom, there. wasn't it? Tom Chihak. The day we filmed it, he nailed it. It went <laughs> everywhere it was supposed to go, when it was supposed to go there. It was well, awesome. Little Arthur comes running out of the office, acting like a kid now. He did it without even looking. He did it. That's my dad. <laughs> and Carlson comes out of the office acting like a kid. Hi there. He gives a little wave to Jennifer and Andy with the hand that is not holding the remote control, and he continues on the same path that the car took. And that is it for the episode, but we aren't quite done with Marcus. We were curious if he had any interaction with Hugh Wilson. Now, I know it's a long shot, but we had to ask. I don't remember. I don't. I can't pick him out of a lineup. But now I can tell you this. If it followed along every other trend, he was definitely at the interviews. Generally, you don't get a part like that only on one interview. It probably took a couple. I don't recall going to them, but they had to have happened, and there had to be more than one. You know, there was a thousand kids in Hollywood that looked like me. You know, I can tell you that the the casting directors were there, and the producer and the director, whoever the director of the episode was going to be, that's who's them. That's who's there. Marcus did not have a good experience as a child actor. It was something he was compelled to do by his parents. He worked out of a sense of duty to his family. He did not normally watch himself in anything he did. There were no fond memories. His WKRP experience was different. That is the one show that I watched uh, as it was broadcast. That is the only thing I've ever stayed up at night to watch myself do on TV. Marcus did tell us, as great as that week was, his most valuable memory of the experience came much later. And we think it says a lot about how Hugh Wilson ran his show. The coolest thing that I remember about that show had nothing to do with the taping of the show. It had to do with whatever it was two or three years later when I got invited to the rap party when it was wrapping as a series and they knew it was not going to be renewed. My agent called my mom and said, you know, Sparky's been invited to the rap party. We didn't go for whatever reason. I mean, I was only, you know, 13, maybe something like that, or 14. Um, but I can't tell you what an honor it is to be a one episode actor on an extremely popular series 
and being remembered enough positively to be invited to the rap party. That was uh, that was a great honor for me. We want to say a huge thank you to Marcus Isolio for his time and his memories. Our entire interview with Marcus was an interesting and laugh-filled 90 minutes. He told so many great stories that went far beyond his time on WKRP. We've decided, with Marcus' permission, to release the entire interview as a season extra. Be watching for it when we're finished with our Season 1 episode. What a great episode. It couldn't get any better, could it? Yeah, it could. Donna, what's up for next week? Next week is Fish Story. On the day Carlson and Travis are being interviewed by a newspaper, everything around them goes wrong in the silliest way possible. This episode is hilarious! <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP Cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. And thanks for joining us. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPCast at gmail.com. And really, really, really remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Go do it. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger! <laughs> <laughs>